Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Let's give the Lord all the glory and honor tonight. Amen. I thank Him that I am not a slave to fear. It's crippling. If you want to live in defeat, give in to fear. Um, I'm thankful for your pastor and his wife. Can we hear it for them? Thankful for them. Thankful for the praise team and the leadership of this church. It's been an honor, yes, it's been an honor and a privilege to be here with you. As the Lord has, we've walked through some themes this week. Sunday morning, we talked about the cross. And you know, that's the starting point in anyone's relationship with Jesus. There's no other way, right? The cross works and nothing else does. That's it, the cross works. And nothing else does. And if you know Jesus tonight as your Lord and Savior, you've come by way of the cross. Because that's the only way. Uh, Sunday evening we talked about what it means to be a good host of the Holy Spirit. uh, Both corporately and individually. How many of you know you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Amen. Amen. Uh, And we talked about how that's, that's a great privilege, but it is also a great responsibility. And that we've got to live in constant awareness of God's manifest presence in our life. We don't get to turn him on and off. (laughs) And so we should live like he's always there. Uh, Monday night I talked about your identity in Jesus. uh, And how we've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless we live. Yet not I but Christ lives in me in the life that I now live right now right here. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. And I told you that Jesus doesn't want you to make him part of your life. He wants to become your life. And if you're ever going to be free in Christ, you're going to have to be fully immersed in the person of Jesus Christ. Last night it got rather heavy as we talked about spiritual authority. Uh, Both us being submitted to the authority structures that God's placed. Uh, You cannot be in the will of God and not be submitted to the authority structures that God has placed in your life. We also talked about how under those authority structures, we are able to resist the devil and him flee from us, right? Uh, uh, We're able to to defeat the enemy. And you remember how we defeat him, right? By speaking God's truth. Uh, Defeating the enemy requires speaking to the enemy just like Jesus did. And I hope you've caught on to this overarching theme because this theme has really changed my life in recent years. And it is this. Intimacy with Jesus is the key to success in the Christian walk. Period. If you want to be successful in this world as a Christian, as a Christ follower, you will have to enter into a place of intimacy and abiding constantly with Christ. Uh, Tonight, I want to go a little bit of a different direction, and I hope I'll leave you with something that will be long-lasting and that you can commit to in your walk with the Lord. I I read a story not long ago about a pastor uh, who was taking a trip, and he was dressed rather casually as he uh, showed up at the airport. He boarded the plane wearing a a uh, pair of blue jeans and an old ragged t-shirt. and He sat down next to a well-dressed businessman reading the Wall Street Journal. And they exchanged the usual pleasantries and then the pastor asked the guy what he did for a living. And with obvious pride, this young man said, I am in the figure spa business. He said, we can change a person's entire self-image by changing their body. He was a young guy, so the pastor was intrigued. He asked him, so have you been doing it long? Uh, No, the young man said. In fact, I just graduated college with a business degree last year, but the company's already given me so much responsibility that I'm hoping to manage the eastern part of the operation in a couple of years. So you're a national organization, the pastor said. Oh, yes, the young man said. We're the fastest growing company of our kind 
in the nation. And then came the inevitable question. The young man said to the pastor, and what do you do for a living? What's interesting, the pastor said, we're actually in similar businesses. He said, you're in the body changing business and I'm in the personality changing business. He said, in my field, we apply basic theocratic principles to accomplish indigenous personality modification." The young guy had no idea what that meant, but he said, you know, I think I've heard of that. Uh, Do you have an office here in the city? Yeah, we got offices here in the city, the pastor said. In fact, we've got offices throughout the state and we've gone international and management has planned to put at least one office in every country by the end of the business era. The pastor paused for a minute and said, do you have that in your business? The young guy said, well, no, not yet, but you mentioned management. How does that work? The pastor said, oh, it's a family business. There's this father and son who run everything. (laughs) The guy said, oh, that must take a lot of capital. The pastor said, yeah, it takes a lot of money, but we never worry about finances. We have this saying about our boss. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The young man said, so he's into ranching too? Then the young businessman asked, well, what about the employees? I mean, are they they happy? Uh, And the pastor said, oh, there's something special. There's this spirit that pervades the organization. The father and son love each other so much that it just filters down to all of us. The pastor then said, I know this sounds unbelievable, but I got people in my organization that's willing to die for me. Do you have that in your business? No, the young man said, but there are a few people we'd like to kill sometimes. (laughs) Then the young man asked, what about the benefits? The pastor said, they are amazing. I've got complete life insurance, fire insurance, all the basics. He said, you may not believe this, but I got a mansion being built for me right now for my retirement. (laughs) Do you have that in your business? By this point, the young man was feeling like the figure spa business wasn't exactly the business to be in. (laughs) And finally, he asked the pastor, but can the operation last? I mean, nowadays, companies come and go. And the pastor said, oh, I think we've got a pretty good future. After all, we got a 2,000-year run going. (laughs) And my friends, that is the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we say thanks be to God for his church and what it represents in this world. And what I want to say to you tonight by way of a main idea is this. Jesus doesn't merely call us to go to church. He calls us to be the church. It is not some activity that we just partake in. It is who we are at the core of our identity. With that being said, I'd like to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to pick up our reading in verse 42, as we get an early snapshot of the church that Jesus envisioned. Amen. I mean, this is an early snapshot, if you will, of the early church. The very beginning of what we do now, this is what it looked like. Would you stand with me if you found Acts 2, or if you'd like to follow along on the screen as we honor the reading of God's Word tonight? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. That's what we're doing here tonight, right? We're devoting ourselves to the word of the Lord and to fellowship. We shared a meal and you fellowship before and after. And to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. I said this a few nights ago, I'm going to say it again. Signs and wonders is normal Christianity. That's not abnormal stuff. It's normal biblical Christianity. And all believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had a need. And every day they continued 
Your pastor said he was tired tonight. And that's just because he's getting old. But the rest of us, we're all right every night, right? <laughs> every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God. I like that word sincere heart or motive, meaning there wasn't any pretense. Too often in the church, we have to cut through the pretense before we can get to anything important. God help us. Sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord, not us, not my programs, not my strategies, not all of our big conferences and fancy speakers, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why? Because they were faithful. Lord, we love you tonight and we thank you for your word. It never returns void. I pray you'd give us ears to hear tonight what you have to say to the church. I don't want to be heard. Uh, Lord, I'm going to probably misspeak, but God, I pray you'd hide me in such a way through your covering that Jesus would be lifted up. And Lord, we give you praise, honor, and glory in advance for who you are and what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I think I'd like to start tonight by asking you, how would you describe the church? I mean, in general conversation, would you describe the church the way this pastor described the church on the airplane with the young businessman. Would you say that the church uh, blows every other enterprise and investment out of the water? I mean, would you say the church at its best is the most relevant, dynamic entity on the planet? <laughs> it is a movement among movements, you understand. It is something that Jesus catapulted into existence and when the Holy Spirit came, it took shape and it formed and it has transformed billions of lives. Would you tell someone that the church is the one thing that you'd be willing to give your life to that's going to live on long after you're gone? There was a time in my life as a young man when I wouldn't have said that. In, in fact, I was fine with Jesus. I just didn't care for the church. There was a time when, when I looked at the church and, and all I saw was a bunch of dead, stagnant, you know, 501c3 business organizational that's as far from relevant as anything I could possibly imagine. In my eyes, the church was just organized religion and everything that as a young man I didn't like about organized religion. Someone may say, well then, what brought you to this place? How are you standing here tonight? I want to tell you, there's only one reason. I met Jesus and He flipped my life upside down. I met Jesus and He turned my life on its head. God changed my life and I became a follower. I don't even like to consider myself a follower. I like to consider myself a chaser. I'm chasing Jesus with my life. I have no other, no other aspirations but to chase Him to the day I die right over into eternity. God, help me to stay on track with that dream. I believe God can do absolutely anything, and there's not a soul on this planet that can talk me out of it. When Jesus changes a person's life, that person's life takes on a new direction. It, it, there, there's a new destination, a new destiny, if you will. They become a disciple. Do you know what a disciple is? Disciples are followers who are always pressing in to deeper intimacy with Jesus. That's what disciples are. Make no mistake, not everyone that fills church pews on Sunday mornings are disciples. In fact, I believe in our country, we have far more consumers than we do disciples. They consume religious goods, and if something don't satisfy them in one place, they're quick to go to some other place to get their felt needs met. Now, I don't know what Jesus they met, but I don't know any sort of consumer-driven Jesus. I just know a life-transforming Jesus. 
A world-changing Jesus. And part of the problem in our consumeristic culture is that we have Christians who aren't truly engaged in discipleship, which means they aren't really growing, and the churches are filled with people who have made professions of faith at some point in their life, and they're 10 miles wide and 2 inches deep. God help us. I mean, do you want to really know what a church full of genuine disciples look like? I mean, a church full of God chasers, Holy Spirit filled, pressing into the kingdom. I'm talking about fired up, fueled up, meat eating, bungee jumping, Navy SEAL mixed with ninja kind of, you know, full contact, pads off, relentless about winning people to Jesus and not taking no for an answer. That's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of disciples I'm talking about. That's the kind of disciples we read about in this book that, do you believe this? That's what they were about. A church that changes the world is a church that has been changed by the Word. I feel in our day and age we are losing proper emphasis on Scripture. I do. I feel like we've trivialized it. You know, we, we, we've memorized our verses as a kid and then we just sort of shelve it from there on out and that's as far as we go with it. Look at verse 42 again with me. They devoted themselves to what? Hmm. What that tells me is that the first thing the early church did was started a school in the church. They didn't just gather and worship. It tells us that they did this, but they also gathered for teaching. And the teachers were the apostles. It was the apostles' teaching. You know what the New Testament is? It is, it is the captured body of apostolic teaching. This is the apostles' teaching. So to be a disciple, a follower is to be dedicated to Scripture. It's to be dedicated to the teaching of the apostles. In, in fact, a church that is really being the church is a church that is a biblical church. Everything's based on the Bible. Teaching will be based on the Bible. Mission will be based on the Bible. Expectations will be based on the clear teaching of Scripture. Did you know the more, I'm convinced of this, the more we gather around the Word, the more we're transformed by the Word. Now, the enemy's going to fight you when it comes to gathering around the Word, both individually and collectively. Has the enemy fought you to get here this week? Don't lie. You know he has. I hope you spoke to him all the way here tonight. The more the Word transforms us, guess what? The more empowered we become to transform the world. We become walking revivals. <laughs> we become walking examples of Jesus in the world when we're filled with the Word. And a church that's serious about changing their community and reaching people in their own backyard and being missional to the core is a church that's been transformed by the Word of God. God's Word should inspire us, friends. It should shape us, it should challenge us, it should inform us, it should lead us in all we do. Now Acts chapter 2 is a passage that gives us one of the clearest pictures imaginable of the church that Jesus himself envisioned. You understand? It was right after this day known as the day of Pentecost when the first followers of Jesus experienced the Holy Spirit in such a powerful way that people outside the upper room didn't even recognize them when they come out. What's going to happen when us Nazarenes get drunk with the Holy Spirit? Oh man, that ruffles some feathers, I know. But that's what it said happened. In other words, they were so changed. It was intoxicating. You see, it, 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 was, it had so captivated them that people that had known them previously, their personalities, were, their behavior that was so modified that people didn't even recognize them anymore. Jesus essentially said this, 
before the day of Pentecost, before he ascended, he said, you won't have me with you anymore, but you'll have me in you. Praise God. Hallelujah. You, you won't have my arms and, and my legs and my eyes and my ears, but together you will be my body. Right? And then Jesus returned to heaven and the Holy Spirit came and empowered people in ways that made an on, the ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit a reality in the community and thousands upon thousands upon thousands came to Christ immediately. Now, a church that's changed by the world, our church that changes the world is a church changed by the word. And a church changed by the word is a church that makes disciples that make disciples. Amen. That make disciples that make disciples, right? It's a never-ending process. So if, if we've really been changed by the word, that which we claim is important, then we will be disciples and we will be disciplers. You might hear someone say they're a disciple of something. I've shared some stories about my own life this week. I'm sure you could share many about your journey. You may hear someone say they're a disciple or a student of, of music or theater or, or some uh, intellectual school of thought. And, and in the church we often talk about discipleship, but I think we have a foundational problem when it comes to our understanding of discipleship. Because most of the time, when I, I feel like this is true, in a lot of cases, not all, but a lot of times when we talk about discipleship, we think about somebody standing in front of us like I'm doing tonight and spoon-feeding concepts to us. Discipleship is not when someone is actively talking and everyone else is passively listening. I'm not saying that there's not components of discipleship that can be passed down. See, tonight, I hope that you're learning some things, but more than that, through the Word, I hope you're challenged to engage some things, to become some things. This common misunderstanding is why in our culture, you often, I talked about church hopping a little bit earlier this week, you often see people jumping from one place to the other complaining that what? I'm not getting fed Right? You ever heard that, Pastor? Feed me. You see, if, if that strategy worked, someone actively speaking and others passively listening, if that strategy worked, why ain't we got more disciples like we read about in Acts? The, the, the word disciple comes from the Greek word mathetes, and it literally means learner. The idea of being a learner places the action firmly into the lap of the one that's taken up or committed themselves to learning. Right? The call of Christ is not for you to sit under someone else and listen. It is for you to take up the mantle of self-development. The mantle of walking in Christ. Now, I want you to think about how this worked with Jesus. What did Jesus do? How did he make disciples? Gather them in a classroom once a week. We know they met in the synagogue. We know they met in homes. We just read that. That's part of it. But what did Jesus do? Jesus invited a group of people to share life with him for 36 months. They did life together. It was an invitation to learn. It was not an invitation to enter into a passive process of being fed. In other words, they weren't just expected to hear what Jesus said. They were expected to do what Jesus did. That's the fruit of discipleship. Now, if discipleship was just someone talking and others listening, then Jesus didn't do a very good job with Judas, did he? Judas didn't seem to learn very much at all, actually. So if discipleship is simply something that is done for us, Jesus failed with Judas. I don't know about you, but I'm not willing to say Jesus failed at discipleship. <laughs> See, here's the truth about being a learner. Growing spiritually is something that can be served to you. 
But man, it's got to be owned by you. <laughs> it's got to be owned by you. And the book of Hebrews tells us that people who keep looking to get fed essentially are in arrested development. That's what the Hebrews writer says. He says they're like babies who never grow up, always wanting their bottle. And if you think I'm being sarcastic, it's not me at all. It's the writer of Hebrews. The sarcasm is right there in the text. So don't get mad at me. We don't even know who the Hebrews writer is. He kept his identity from, he kept from disclosing his identity. So. Look at Hebrews 5, verse 11, if you want to turn there with me. Uh, the writer says this, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good and evil. So it's not about finding the best teaching or making sure you land in the best small group or you go to the church with the best uh, preacher. That's all relevant those are all add-ons. And thank God for them. Hallelujah. Those are all supplements. But the heart of being a disciple is for you to get in the Bible. It is for you to engage authentic discipling relationships. It is for you to take up the mantle of self-development. It requires you becoming methetes, a learner. I have two men in my life that for 23 years have been courageous sources of accountability for my life. Accountability is uncomfortable for most people. True accountability. Where you say to someone, God has placed you in my life and I give you permission to say anything to me. Especially if you see me in some place in my journey where I'm way off track. I'm giving you that spiritual authority. Every one of us need at least one person that is able to do that and it's not our spouse. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with my accountability. They're not even partners. I've given them authority. You understand? And, and one of them, I do return the favor, so we're partners, but one of them is just an authority figure. And we speak every other week, minimum, at length, and there have been times I've left those conversations so mad I thought the top of my head was going to explode. Because of the things that that person was able to identify that was manifesting in my spirit that I was blind to you. How many of you know Satan is good at creating blind spots in our lives? And without inviting someone in, see, Christianity should be about that kind of transparency. Now, I realize you can't trust everybody. I wouldn't get up in front of the whole church and, and just go into every detail of everything that's going on in your life, but you ought to be able to share anything with your pastor and somebody else in your life. That's called bearing each other's burdens, right? You can't grow as a learner with blind spots, it's impossible. You know the times I've left angry? Within a week or two of praying, I see what the person says. I call them in tears and thank them for saying it because I wouldn't have seen it any other way. That's how God works. Hmm. So a, a church that changes the world is a church changed by the Word. Amen? And a church changed by the Word is a church that makes disciples that make disciples, that make disciples. They're relentless about that. And a church serious about changing or making disciples is a church serious about changing the world. <laughs> See, it's just a circular process. We're back to changing the world, right? So, so, so being a world-changing kind of church requires serious disciple-making and serious times of being led, challenged, and inspired by the Word of God.
If I were to ask someone, and I have, why do we study the Bible? I can almost guarantee you that the number one answer would be to understand and know what it says. No, that is not why we study the Bible. The ultimate goal is to do what it says. <laughs> not just to know what it says, but to do what it says. To walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Listen to what James says in chapter 1. Do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a, a man or a person who looked at their face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looked like. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what they have heard, will be blessed in what they do. You believe that? You know, it's interesting to me that in, in, in James's day, it's interesting to me that James uses mirrors in that text to make his point about the Word. You, you know, when we, uh, when we look into mirrors, did, has everybody looked in a mirror at some point today? Some of you look like maybe you haven't, but most of you look like you have. I noticed our worship leader has his hair down tonight. I'm sure he looked in a mirror for that. You know, the man bun's easy, so the, the hair, he looked, I told him he looked more like Jesus tonight with his hair down. <laughs> but, but most of us look in a mirror, and what we see when we look in a mirror is this clear reflection of what we look like, right? Clear reflection. But you know, that's not the way mirrors were in James's day. There, there was no mirror that gave this, this, this clear reflection. They, they weren't made uh, of crystal clear uh, images. They, they weren't even made of reflective glass like we have today. You know what they were made of? Polished copper or brass. How many of you would like to get ready by looking in the bottom, at the bottom of a cooking pot? The point behind that is that the, the image in the mirror would have been very vague. In other words, someone trying to get ready would have had to look, as he said, intently. Right? I mean, would have really had to be paying attention to, to what they were doing so they would get a clear reflection in their mind and they would know what needed to be done with their hair or their makeup or, or their clothes or whatever. And so with that understanding of what a mirror was like in the first century, listen to James again, verses 23 and 24. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone that looks at their face in a mirror and after looking goes away and immediately forgets what they look like. In other words, forget what needs to be fixed. James is saying anyone who listens to the Word, learns the Word, knows the Word, but doesn't do it. It's like someone that spends all their time in front of a vague image trying to get a picture in their mind of what needs fixing and walks away and does nothing. They get distracted immediately. They did it all for nothing. The time was wasted. Their hair's still a wreck. Man, their shirt needs ironing. The tie needs straightening. The makeup smeared all over your face. Why do we spend all that time trying to see and then do nothing? That's what James is saying. So why don't we do it? Because we've bought into a warped view of discipleship. It's not your fault, but you can do something about it. It's not your fault that this view of discipleship has been imposed on the church culture in 21st century America. See, back to what I said in the beginning, the, the view of discipleship in our culture is too often something that happens to us or something that's done for us. In other words, it's just the church's job. It's the pastor's job. It's not my responsibility. 
Make me close to Jesus. I, I can't make you close to Jesus. <laughs> you can get close to Jesus. It's not my job to make you close to Jesus. It's your job to get close to Jesus. <laughs> save my marriage. I can't save you. Pastor cannot save your marriage. But Jesus can, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not even my job to save your marriage. But God will help you save your marriage. As you walk in the footsteps of Jesus, raise my kids. Oh, that one's tough, man. I've had so many parents. Oh, well, I've brought them to church on Wednesday nights all their life. You think an hour and a half on Wednesday nights is gonna, and an hour on Sunday mornings is going to raise your kids? The church can't do that, but Jesus can help you do that. Jesus can help you do that. Feed me. It's not the church's job to feed you. It's your job to take up the mantle of self-development and be fed. It's not the church's job to give you the life you want. It's the church's job to connect you with Jesus by offering you opportunities to grow and to learn. Whether you do anything with that or not is up to you. The church can't change you. Only God can change you. Amen. Yeah, the, the church serves the family trying to raise the child. Sure they do. We're a supplement. It offers you a place to make relationships with people who have, they had all things in common, James said, or access. It gives you the necessary resources for a vibrant relationship with Jesus. But it will not, the church cannot, no one on this earth can circumvent your choices. The church cannot live your life for you. Only you can live your life for you. Would you come? What happens is we have these meetings and God's moved here this week. Yeah, he has. You know, he has. And I've told you many times, that's, that's normal. It should be normal Christianity. We should not hold back when it comes to those things. But so often these weeks end, and whatever change took place, you know, God tapped us on the shoulder. He revealed some things about our life. He asked us to engage those things and to become disciples. Pressing into deeper places of intimacy with him. Whether we do that or not, is up to us. And if you are depending on everybody else doing it before you do it, then it's never going to happen. In 1904, a 16-year-old young man named William Borden graduated from a Chicago high school. He was heir to the, the, the Borden family fortune, and as a graduation gift... At the beginning of his Ivy, Ivy League education, his parents sent him on a trip around the world. And as he traveled through Asia and the Middle East and Europe, he developed a deep burden for the hurting people of the world. Young William Borden wrote home to his family about his desire and call to become a missionary. Many friends and many family members expressed skepticism saying that Borden would be wasting his life if he committed himself to the mission field. They thought he should assume his proper place in the family empire. And in response, William Borden wrote two words in the back of his Bible. No reserves. William Borden arrived on the campus at Yale University in 1905. His classmates quickly noticed something unusual about him, and it wasn't that he was wealthy. It was his deep love for Jesus and for the Bible. Borden started a small prayer group in Bible study uh, on Yale's campus that ended up transforming life on the campus. This group grew rapidly and by the end of his first year, 150 freshmen were meeting every week for Bible study and prayer. By his senior year, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting in discipleship groups. 
As Borden's missionary calling narrowed to the Muslim people of China, he fixed his eyes on that goal and he never wavered. And upon graduation, Borden, he turned down some high-paying job offers. And in his Bible, he wrote two more words. No retreat. No reserve. No retreat. William Borden went on to do graduate work at Princeton Seminary in New Jersey. And when he finished his studies, he sailed for China. And since he was hoping to minister to Muslims, he stopped first in Egypt to study Arabic. While there, he contracted spinal meningitis. And within one month, 25-year-old William Borden died. True story. The news of young Borden's death was cabled back to the United States and nearly every American newspaper carried the story. A wave of sorrow gripped the people that knew and loved this amazing young man and many believed Borden wasted his life. They continued to argue after his death that he should have run the family business. This wouldn't have happened. One day, a box of Borden's belongings showed up on his parents' doorstep. And as they began to unpack the few things he had left, they found his Bible. And they broke down in tears as they opened it to the back. Where he had written, no reserves, no retreat. And while he was laying in a bed dying, he had written no regrets. I think many of us when it comes to discipleship are tempted to play it safe. I get to the end I hope I can look back and say no regrets Jesus never said this is going to be easy but he did say it'd be worth it <laughs> and he didn't call us to go to church And on this final night, I'd like to ask how many in here would like to make a deeper commitment to being a follower, to being a disciple, to saying no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Would you stand with me tonight? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to ask you not to sing yet. Let's just play for a moment. And if anybody here would like to make their way forward, I'd like to give you that opportunity. God speaking to you. Nobody's looking around. Just you and God. Maybe some of you here just want to come forward like we've done on the other nights and just give praise to the Lord. 
Amen? If you'd like to do that, we'd like to open up this, this front area. You know, I've already told you this week that close proximity with your brothers and sisters of the Lord create an atmosphere of intimacy that, uh, that surpasses anything that we can manufacture. Some are coming. If you'd like to come just out of adoration and praise as we sing this song tonight about being free. And maybe you need to be set free of something tonight. We're going to pray before we leave. We're going to pray. And if you need to be set free uh, from something, I'd just like to invite you to come so we can, uh, we can pray for you tonight. Let's sing together and gather here around these that have come. Let's sing. Alone in my sorrow, dead in my sin. Amen. Hallelujah. Lost without hope and no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come. When death was arrested and my life began, ash was redeemed, only few he remained. And my orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet. My feet rose today. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made. your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new now life begins with you. Release from my chains, I'm a prisoner no Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. That's when
Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad for that, man? Aren't you glad for his freedom tonight? Man, this has been such an awesome week, but you know, it's the beginning. This is just the beginning. Revival is something that isn't over just because Brian goes back to Kentucky. It's just getting started. You know, this is how we have to live. What he said tonight is absolutely the truth. You know, if we could read the Bible and say, well, I did it, put it down, it makes no difference. It's no different than reading it or looking at it as a good luck charm. You have to let it change your life, and you have to go out and get busy and do it. We have to change. We have to change that. Right now, there's some that have asked me for us to pray for them. Uh, they've got family that's sick, and they want us to pray tonight for their healing. And, you know, we, we're going to do that. So come on up here. If you still have someone or if you want me to pray for your healing or there's something going on in your life you want us to pray for tonight, Come on up here right now. We're going to anoint people. We're going to pray for people. Come on. We'll gather around. Let's gather around them. I love that you put hands on people because it's putting on of hands. It's, it's powerful. It's life-changing. Let's get up here and change. Let's change some lives right now. Come on up here. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, tonight we come to you to thank you and to praise you for your healing touch. We thank you that death was arrested. Lord, that sickness is not your will. So sickness must be gone. We pray for Doris that she would experience healing in her life. Because, Lord, it is not your will for her to have this stroke. Amen. It is not your will for her to be crippled. Lord, push the stroke away. Give her back her health. Right. Make her whole and complete. Give her a testimony of the grace and the power of God. God. Lord Jesus, home. right now, help her to accept all that you have for her. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Anyone else tonight before we break it up? We're going to pray for Darcy's feet. All righty. Lord Jesus, right now we believe that you want to heal Darcy's feet. So, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that her feet would be healed, the pain would be gone. Lord, it isn't your will that she walks around in pain. It's your will to heal, to make her whole, to make her complete. Lord, right now, in Jesus' name, she walks in your name and in your strength and no pain, Lord. It is not... Her, your will in heaven for her to be walking in pain. So, Lord, right now, may she be free of the pain. In the name of Jesus, we ask it and believe. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Anyone else tonight? Yes, ma'am. Come on up. Let's do it. Father, right now we again anoint Louise and believe for her healing, complete healing. Lord, we pray that the doctors that will find that her heart is healed completely, Lord. It's your will to heal her heart. So, Lord, heal her heart completely. In the name of Jesus, may she be healed from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet, Lord. Her shoulder, all of it, Lord. And most of all, her mind, that she would just be able to relax and know that your Holy Spirit walks beside her, that you're going to give her wisdom, that you said you would be her counselor, that you would be her guide, that you would teach her all things. And Lord, we're just trusting you for that in the name and the powerful, in the absolutely overwhelming, powerful name of Amen. Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anyone else tonight? Lord Jesus, right now, we come to you with this request, Lord. We've been praying for him, but Lord, right now, we're asking for absolute conviction. Right now, this very minute, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move upon Brandon, that he would experience the depths of his despair, that he would go to a place where, Lord, right now, he would know that unless he turns his life over to you, there is no hope. 
that he would be broken and that he would come to his knees and that he would fall on his face and accept you and let you be Lord and Savior of his life. Lord Jesus, right now, do the work in him. Lord, we anoint Chris believing that you want to do this for her grandson. Touch him tonight, Lord. Touch him tonight. Whatever's going on there, Lord, may he experience all that you have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is awesome. This is awesome. God is moving. He's moving. This is normal. I love what he keeps saying. This is normal. This is what we should be doing. Praise the Lord for that. All righty. Hey, let's pray for Brittany tonight. She needs our prayers. Brittany is just, you know, she was, um, she received her, where her trial will be in January. She's going to probably remain there in the county jail through these next few months while she waits on that. And, and it's just really tough. And for Jennifer as she's trying to make all the decisions. It's just really hard right now. So let's pray for them. Father, tonight, pray for Brittany, Lord. We know that uh, she's feeling so alone. She feels like she's been left there. But God, right now, you are able to go to her and that your presence will be real and that she will surrender and that she will say yes, that she'll let you have everything, Lord, right now, that she'll begin to grow in your power. Lord, through these trials and tribulations that she faces, that she'd be changed. And God, I pray also for Jennifer as she makes decisions and as she tries to, to, to guide this, Lord. I pray that you will just be with her and that you will be her all in all, that you'll be her strength, that she will say yes to you, that her growth will begin to be real as she goes through these things with her sister. Lord, we are just trusting you right now. Lord, there's so much that we don't understand, but God, we know who's in charge, and so we trust you right now, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Anyone else tonight that we want to pray for? Yeah. Right. pray for Will right now. Lord Jesus, you know about Will. You know he's a good young man, and Lord, he's been in a situation that really I don't believe he caused, but Lord, right now he is just needing a touch from you. He needs you to intervene in this situation. God, right now, would you speak to those who in authority, would they realize that they need to let you have your way? And Lord, he needs to be home. He needs to be here. He needs to be where you can change things, where you can work in his life, Lord. And I pray that you will do that, Lord. We just commit him into your hands and we trust you to move the mountain that's in the way. You said if we would believe that you would move the mountain. So tonight, move the mountain, Lord. Move the mountain for will. In Jesus' name we pray, believing that you can do that. Amen. 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 Okay. 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 Tonight, Lord, we're praying for Andrew and Sophie, for Andrew and Bridget, Lord, for that whole family, we're praying and asking God for their lives. We're asking you to go to them and to remind them that you love them, Lord, that you would go to them and bring conviction upon souls, that they would let go of all the stuff they're doing and that they would just begin to say, okay, God, that they would just surrender fully, completely, totally to you, Lord. Lord, protect the children, keep them safe. Lord, right now, be with Andrew and Bridget, Lord. Wake them up right now, Lord. Whatever you got to do to get a hold of their hearts, Lord, show them their brokenness. Show them their lostness unless they trust you, Father. Lord, right now, we pray for all the prodigals in our church, for all those who are running away, for all those who have decided to go their own way. God, right now, wake them up. Go to them. Speak into their hearts. Remind them that you are God. Lord, bring conviction. Bring them home, Lord. We believe for them, Lord. We're trusting you for them right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. Anyone else tonight? That's good. Lord, right now, I just want to thank you for what you're doing for Aiden, Lord, and I thank you for his life. And God, I pray right now for you to be, to bring heaven to earth right now, that you would just bring down upon us all those things that, that, that are going on, as you said for us to pray, that it would, that, that it would be that, you're, that on earth as it is in heaven would actually begin to happen. And Lord, I praise you for that. I praise you for the faith of this young man. God, I believe right now that you have such great plans for him. Lord Jesus, right now, I can't help but just declare it again. You're going to make him into a great man. He's going to be a man of God. He's going to be a man who changes his world. And we believe that tonight. And Lord, I thank you for that. And Lord, right now, just be with each one of us here tonight in all the concerns that we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Anyone else? Amen. It's good. Amen. Well, it has been a good, good week. Amen. I hate to bring it to an end because it's just like one of those things, you know. It's like, wow, it's so fantastic, but it doesn't really end. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We can do that in just a minute here. Hey, tomorrow morning, men that want to, 7 o'clock, Bible study over here. Anybody can make it, you're welcome to come. And uh, thank you again for being here. Looking forward to what God's going to do. Lord, we're going to sing again, and then we're going to be dismissed. Let me pray right now. Father, thank you for everything. Thank you for being here with us, and as we get ready to leave this place tonight, Lord, I pray for one thing, that your Holy Spirit will go with us and that we'll be good hosts of your Holy Spirit. That we will, uh, that we will not just uh, be good hosts here in this church, but Lord, when we leave here, that we'll be the same out there as we are in here. And that your will will be done in Muncie, as it is in heaven, that we will make a difference in our city, not because we uh, went out and did something for someone, but most of all, because we read the word and the word changed us and we went out and we did it. So Lord, right now, do in us, through us, whatever you want in the precious and awesome name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. all you ladies check your earrings i got well, i got a spare up here so check your earrings found one